Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, welcome to another great day, a great day where we can assemble together, fellowship with one another, more importantly, worship our God. If you would, to please take a moment to silence your cell phones. Uh, first and foremost, let's get that taken care of. If you're visiting with us, uh, we are honored to have you here. We're happy to have you here. Uh, please stick around after services and let us get to know you a little bit better. And if you would, fill out one of the uh, little white cards in the pew in front of you. You can give that to anybody. <laughs> you can drop it in the collection plate, put it in the black boxes in the back, uh, so we have a record of you being here this morning. Uh, we do have a nursery behind the glass over here if you need, uh, need that this morning. And we have a children's church service for uh, kindergarten to third grade and you'll be dismissed for that at the appropriate time. Uh, members, please take note of our upcoming events, uh, sick list, uh, life group information, all that stuff can be found on the, well, they're not back there anymore, with the slideshow, uh, the Rome Journal, which is in the back, and Dave will have some pertinent announcements at the end of service to take note of. One thing I do want to mention before we begin, um, Last year, we changed our 6 p.m. service to 4 p.m. Uh, we will not be doing that this year. Uh, services on Sunday evening will be still at 6 p.m. And if you need a ride, uh, if you uh, need a ride to and from services, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Put your name, phone number on that, and we'll be sure to get you here and home. And we'll try to do it safely. Um, outside of that... Uh, I believe that's all I have, so let's enter into our worship service. What? Uh, we have a men's meeting Saturday morning at 8.30, but that was on our announcement sheet. That was in our Rome journal, and Dave will announce that when he gets up at the end of services as well. <laughs> uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, we have a lot of things going on this, this, uh, this month. Uh, it is Thanksgiving month. We typically do a few extra things for that. We have a food drive going on. Uh, we have a special contribution coming up in a couple weeks. We have the men's meeting coming up this weekend. Um, but all that stuff has been published. You, you should be able to take note of that. Um, with that, let's enter into our worship service. Let's stand for the first song, please. It's on. First song this morning, number 870, I'm Happy Today, 870. <clears throat> I'm happy today, oh yes, I'm happy today in Jesus Christ. I'm happy today because he's taken all my sins away, and that's why I'm happy today. I'm singing today. Oh, 
Next hymn this morning, number 25, All Things Praise Thee, hymn number 25. And after this hymn, Brother Kevin Niles will have our scripture reading and prayer. All things praise Thee, Lord Most High, heaven, earth, and sea. with me please dear heavenly father we're thankful for this day that you have given us and we're especially cognizant and thankful that we can meet here with those that we love and we could worship you and we can do that without someone trying to stop us or or to impede our worship to you in any way we're prayerful that our worship to you will be pleasing to you and that that our minds will be right and our hearts will be right this morning as we offer our worship to you. We're thankful for this beautiful fall weather that you've given us and for this beautiful place that we have to live, and we pray that you will continue to bless us in that way. We're thankful that our nation now has the opportunity to elect officials in, in lots of areas, and we pray that as we have this election this week that we will be able to nominate and, and to elect people that will bring us closer to you and, and we'll keep this nation in the right path. We're prayerful, prayerful for all of those who cannot be here with us this morning, those who are either sick physically or maybe sick of heart, and we pray that you will be with them. We're also mindful of those who are serving our nation overseas and in places that are really dangerous, and we pray that you will keep them safe and, and bring them home safely. Be with us as we go through this worship and help us to, to do it in our best way possible. 
In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture that Chris has uh, chosen for us today comes from Proverbs 26, uh, verses 13 through 16, if you'd like to, like to read along. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. The sluggard saith, there is a lion in the way. The lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so does the sluggard upon his bed. The sluggard buryeth his hand in the dish. It wearieth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Next hymn this morning, number 495. Oh, the depth and the riches. 495. Sing this hymn before the Lord's Supper. Oh, the depth and the riches of God's saving grace, flowing down from the cross for thee. There the death for my sins by the Savior was paid in his suffering To prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper this morning, I'd like to read from John chapter 19. John chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe 
and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. At this point in time, Jesus' fate is sealed. And in my mind, I picture this scene. Jesus wearing a purple robe, which at, at this point is more red than purple. He was already beaten and flogged. His blood had to be staining that purple robe, that purple which represents royalty, is now soaked with blood. He had blood running down his face from the crown of thorns. Yet at this point, when he knows that his fate, as any man would believe that his fate was in Pilate's hands, he refuses to cave in. And he says, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So if we think about that, we know that God had given Pilate that power at that point in time. God gave the power of the death of his son to a man, seemingly. But we know that was the case. If we look back further in John, the verse that everybody knows, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it goes on in verse 17. For God did not send, him, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God, knowing all that was about to ha happen, sent his son, gave man the authority to kill his son. All for us. Jesus was wearing that royal robe, that crown of thorns for us. As he was later hung on the cross, our sins were on that cross with him. So today as we partake of these emblems, the, the bread that represents the body that he gave up for us, and the through the vine, representing of the blood that he shed on us. Let's remember that he did that out of love, that God sent his son out of love for us 
to be that sacrifice so that we would not have to do it. With these thoughts in mind, let's ask the blessing on the bread. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for the love that you showed, had shown for us, that you were willing to send your son to suffer and die an agonizingly cruel death on the cross for us. Lord, we pray that we'll always be mindful of that and that as of right now we can picture him with the blood raining down knowing that he was hanging on that cross for us. Lord, we pray that you'll bless this bread that we are about to partake that represents his body, which he freely gave on our behalf. We pray that you'll bless it and bless us as we partake of it. For it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's go again to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, again, we come to you thanking you for the sacrifice of your Son. 
Lord, we thank you for the blood that he was willing to shed on our behalf. Lord, we pray now as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents that blood, that we'll be able to see it flowing from his body. Lord, we just pray that we'll always be mindful that it is that blood that washes away our sins. Lord, we pray now that you'll bless this fruit of the vine and bless us as we partake of it. For it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. this time, while the ushers are still on the floor, we take the time to uh, 
give back a portion that we've been blessed with. Uh, we use the example that Paul gave to the church in Corinth to do so each and every Sunday uh, to lay by in store. This goes to uh, the evangelism that this congregation uh, gives, the uh, upkeep, and just the general welfare of the congregation. If you would, let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we again come before you thanking you for the many blessings you've given us. Lord, we thank you for our jobs, our means of livelihoods, all the material blessings that you've blessed us with. Lord, at this time we give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. Lord, we pray that this will go to further your kingdom in this world and in this community. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us as we give and that we'll do so in a cheerful and loving manner. Lord, again, we thank you for your son, for it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand and we'll sing hymn number 111. 111, Come We That Love the Lord. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song which we accord. Join in a song which we accord. We're born. 
Please be seated. <clears throat> Invitation hymn for this morning, number 207. Hark the gentle voice. 207. For the Christian. Uh, working through uh, our way through Proverbs uh, throughout this series, we're calling it Don't Be Dumb. Because a lot of Proverbs, as you know, is all about practical aspects of life and how to approach it in a wise way. So today we're talking about work, how to not be dumb about work. Well, grab your Bibles, flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start here and we're going to work our way back to Proverbs and then we're going to come back, I think. So we'll start in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you don't know anything about the Thessalonian letter, here's a quick review of it. Paul founds this congregation um, early on in his ministry, but is forced to leave Thessalonica when a mob forms and chases him and his compatriots out of town. Of course, the church stays. It's a brand new congregation and so... They are struggling with some of the things that you would expect brand new congregations to struggle with. Specifically, these folks are struggling with the second coming. What's that going to look like and how quick is it going to happen? Because if Jesus comes back tomorrow, I'm not going to work today. I'm going to spend it with the church. And that's, that's kind of, I think, that's where they're coming at uh, here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. There's been some upheaval uh, on the uh, on the part of the Thessalonian congregation and they've just they've just kind of stopped at least some of them have just stopped going to work and it's been long enough now that's that 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 part of the church is having to rely on the rest of the church who actually is going to work to fund them and Paul says that that's not good so let's listen to what what the Holy Spirit here has to say about work through the pen of Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So don't go into this verse thinking that Paul said it was okay just to hang out with the church and not go to work. Paul likes both of those things. He wants you to be with the church. He wants you to be around like-minded, faith-filled People, because like-minded, like-minded, faith-filled people rub off on you, and they make you better, don't they? And so you need to be around the church on a consistent basis. But he's also saying, well, you you need to go to work too, so you can provide for your family, right? You you can't just allow that ball to drop. And so don't don't hear Paul saying, well, being around the church isn't that big a deal. He thinks it is. A big deal because God thinks it is a big deal. But he also wants to provide you this aspect of work is important. It's a God-given thing. But you got to look at it right. Some of us look at it wrong because our culture looks at it wrong. And it's awfully hard to look at something right when you grow up in a culture that looks at it wrong. So we're going to try to look at work through a biblical perspective today and kind of do away with some of our erroneous ideas, some of the things that we've bought into concerning work that don't have anything to do with the Bible. So let's continue here in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, 
This is something Paul's going to be big on throughout his career. He's not going to want to be a burden to anyone. And he says, you guys know that. He spent some time with the Thessalonian congregation. Not as much as he's going to spend with other congregations because of that mob forms, but he's going to write them a couple of letters, and he spends several weeks with them uh, there in the beginning when he founds this congregation. And all throughout this time with them, he's working with his hands. Paul's a tent maker. Uh, most likely he worked with leather goods. And so think tents, but also think maybe sandal straps or things like that. So he's, he's working with leather. He says, you guys remember how I functioned when I was with you. I didn't expect you to pay for my lunch. In fact, I went out and worked with my hands as well as did all my other compatriots. We worked with our hands so that we could support ourselves, so that we weren't a burden to any of you. It was not, in verse 9, it was not because we do not have that right to be a burden to you. He says, we do, but we didn't take it. But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. He says, I knew this was going to be important. And so he says, I, have, I 100% have the right, just as uh, preachers today have the right to uh, work in this capacity and the congregation funds that, those efforts. He says, I have that right but I'm giving you an example so that you can look back on my time with you and think, oh, you know what Paul did? He worked a lot. He worked hard so that he could feed himself, so that he could feed his compatriots, so that he could do the work of the Lord. Because it takes, it takes money, doesn't it? Verse 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Man, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? These are people who are consistently making the decision to sponge off other people. And they're brothers. These are members of the church. And Paul says, no, no, no. This is not right. You work or you don't eat. This is a fellowship issue for Paul. He says this is sinful. If you are sponging, he says no, it's not good. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but your busy bodies. You're, you're that neighbor. You remember the neighbor on the Andy Griffith show who was always peeking through the curtains, wondering what's going on next door? He says, that's you. You ought to be busy at work. You ought to be busy doing something. You ought to be busy doing something beneficial. He says, some of you guys, some of these Thessalonians, you're, just, you're, you're busy at other people's business instead of your own. You need to be busy about your own business. Verse 12, he says, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living. Now, Paul has an awful lot of strong words for this congregation about work, doesn't he? We don't, we don't think very much. Biblically, we don't think very much about work, do we? You probably think about it every day as you're on the commute or as you're at your job. But you don't think very much, most likely, biblically about it. Because maybe we don't see very much about this issue from the pulpit or in our classes or whatever. And so something we need to rectify today. So maybe we don't think biblically about work very much, but Paul certainly is. And he has an awful lot of very strong language here in Second Thessalonians 3. I wonder where he got it from. Where did he get this strong feeling, this, this, this idea about work? And, and how, why does he feel so strongly about it. Well, I think he gets it from probably a multiplicity of places, but I think he certainly gets it from the book of Proverbs. Um, 
Let's start back in the book of Genesis, though. Go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to get to Proverbs in a second, but go all the way back to the beginning with me for just a second here in Genesis 3, and let's talk a little bit about work. Because I think a lot of us think, well, work is a bad thing. Biblically speaking, work is not a bad thing. You probably have already gotten that impression from, from Paul's words here in Second Thessalonians. Work's not a bad thing. Listen to what happens here as God speaks to Adam. Right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve have sinned, things change, right? The, 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 the dynamic of our world changed because of sin. Sin ruins everything, doesn't it? It ruined their lives. It'll ruin your life just as fast. It's not something to toy with. It's something to stay as far away from as possible. Often we want to see how close we can get to sin just to play with it, right? How, how close can I get before, before I fall over into it? Because it's alluring, right? Because it's fun, right? Well, it's fun on this side of it, but you get in the mix of it, and when it ruins everything, that's not so much fun anymore, is it? Adam and Eve toyed with it, and it burned them, and it'll burn us just as fast, and it ruins everything. But check out how it distorted work. Listen to what he says. Genesis 3, verse 17. And Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Is work a consequence of sin? No, it is not. Work was made by God. If you go back to Genesis 2, when God puts Adam in the garden, what does he put him there to do? Do you remember how God phrases it? He put him there to work it. Work's not a bad thing. Work's a good thing. It's a God-given thing. Now, it gets distorted, like you see in this passage, because of sin. And because of sin, we don't always think about work right, because work is hard, right? It is work, right? We have, we, we've made the, the term negative because of what sin has done to it. We look at work in and of itself at its very core as a bad, as a negative thing, something you don't want to do. It's something you're forced to do, but we need work. We need something to do, right? Look at uh, the folks that are, that are disabled or the folks that are, are too ill to work or too older to work. Days pass slowly, don't they, right? We need work. It's a good thing. Now, here in, uh, in Genesis 3, as God is talking to Adam, he says work is going to be harder now. It's going to be less enjoyable now. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to work for it. And so there's going to be sweat on your face to do it. But work in and of itself is a good thing. It's, you might say it's a God thing. We don't think about work very much like that, though, do we? Work's usually, in our minds, a negative thing. But biblically, see, biblically speaking, work's not a bad thing. We're looking at it wrong because of sin. It's become distorted. But it's a perfectly acceptable and good thing to do. 
Listen to the book of Proverbs. He says, a slack hand causes poverty. We, we know that to be true, don't we? If you don't work, what? You don't have anything. You don't have any money. Now, Proverbs are generalities. These are things that are usually true. Proverbs are not true every single time, right? You understand that. We use Proverbs on a daily basis, right? Not just biblical Proverbs, but Proverbs just from our culture. And those things are generally true. They're, they're usually true. And so that's the way that the book of Proverbs is written. The writer will look out and say, well, you know, if you don't work, then you're going to go hungry. You're going to be poor. And those, those things are generally true. So a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. We know that that's not always the case, right? Sometimes people do nothing and Seemingly, they do just fine financially, but usually a slack hand causes poverty and the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. Now, why does that make sense, right? Don't forget, in Proverbs as well as in the rest of Scripture, you got to spend some time with the text. Maybe less so in this one because it seems more intuitive to us. Um, it's ready to harvest in the summer, right? So if you're inside sleeping on the couch watching TV when it's time to be bringing in the hay or bringing in the corn or whatever it is, he says, that, that's silliness. Uh, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame, right? So you, you begin to see here work is a good thing. Throughout all of Scripture, God says you need to work and you need to enjoy work. It's, it's a good thing. It's perfectly acceptable. But even beyond that, it is a good God thing. Proverbs 14, uh, 23, he says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to, po to poverty. It's usually the case, isn't it? If you work for something, or you have to work for what you have. Basically is what he's trying to say here. Um, in all toil there is profit, but if you're only talking, right, it's not going to get you anywhere. It doesn't, you haven't done anything. You end up in poverty. Listen to a couple more. Turn back over to Proverbs 26. I love the book of Proverbs. And specifically, I think that the character known as the sluggard in the book of Proverbs is really, really, really funny. Proverbs 26, you find this person known as the sluggard. This is the verse that Kevin read for us this morning. In Proverbs 26, starting in verse 13. I just think you need to rehear these words. He says, the sluggard says, there's a line in the road, there's a line in the streets, and so he doesn't go anywhere. You ever known anybody like that? Who's so lazy, they made excuses. Sometimes they're silly, ridiculous excuses. There's a line out there. I'll get eaten if I go outside. If I go to work, bad things are going to happen. You know, ever known anybody like that? Who just make excuses not to do something. If you ever work hard, you'll find somebody next door who's not working very hard. and They're making these exact same excuses. Oh, there's, the, there's a reason I can't do this. There's a line out there in their streets. <coughs> And so he doesn't do anything. That's what, that's what a sluggard does. In the book of Proverbs, we condemn 
that type of person. We don't make excuses. We get the job done. God's people ought to be the best workers out there, right? Whatever you do and work or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, right? Colossians 3. And so we ought to be the most diligent workers. And here he, he kind of portrays this person who says, well, there's every excuse in the book that I'm not going to do something. Even to the extent that there's a lion outside and so I can't even walk out of my door to get the work done. Verse 14, 26, 14, he says, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on its bed. He says, that dude makes no progress. Anytime, anyhow, just like a door moves back and forth on its hinges, the door's not actually going anywhere, right? It's not actually moving. It's not actually making progress. It's just swinging back and forth. That's what he says about the sluggard. This guy just kind of rolls over on his bed, and then he rolls back this way. He's not getting anything done. He's just lazy. He says, that God doesn't have anything to do with a lazy person. Verse 15, he says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. I love, this is maybe my favorite proverb. This is just so funny. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it to his mouth. You ever met somebody that lazy? Obviously, we're speaking in hyperbole here. But someone who's so lazy, he sticks his, he sticks his hand in the, the bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and can't quite get the, the thigh bone over to his mouth, right? That's how lazy he is. That's what the book of Proverbs says. And they would condemn that kind of person. He says, That's, that has nothing to do with Christianity. That is sinful. It's sinful to be lazy. It's also silly. Listen to what he says here in 26.16 though. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This sluggard thinks he can outsmart a whole group of other guys who are actually are wise. And he says, well, there's a line out there. That's why I can't go do these things. And the seven guys are like, oh, okay. There's a line out there, huh? How did I get my work done, you know? Oh, you're so lazy you can't move, but you can go back and forth in your bed. You can't even feed yourself. Work is a good thing. It's, in fact, a God thing. We've got to stop looking at the distortion that our culture has made out of work so that we don't react to it in a dumb fashion. Work is good. God gave us work. You need work. It's a good thing. Here's the yeah but, because <laughs> there's always a yeah but, right? Work is a good thing, but you need a balance. You need, you need a balance. Work is not the most important thing. In fact, check out this passage from Proverbs 23. We talked about this last week as we dealt with money and how not to be dumb about money. But here it is again, Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. He says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, when your eyes see money, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. He says, that paycheck is gone just so fast I couldn't even see where it went. Right? You ever thought that? I have. He says, there's, there's no sense in acquiring wealth, in working hard to acquire wealth. That's that's. He might say dumb. So what are we trying to say here? Is work a good thing or is work a dumb thing? Well, there's a balance, isn't there? Work is a good 
thing. We need something to do with our time and we better do it well because that's how God expects us to interact with each other and with outsiders. We do our jobs well. But on the other side of that, you don't do your job to acquire wealth. You don't do your job to get a bigger bank account. You don't do your job to have a nice cushy retirement. Biblically speaking, those are not the reasons you go to work. Remember, we said work has been distorted. It's been perverted a little bit in our culture, quite a bit in our culture. That's what our culture will tell us, right? We go to work so you can have a nice cushy retirement, right? That's what we're all looking forward to. You get the RV and you go to Alaska and spend a month in, in Denali or whatever. You have a nice cushy retirement. That's not, that's not the biblical picture for why you go to work. Well, if you're working hard simply to make money, you're always, always going to be disappointed because of the truth that you find in Proverbs 23. You can't hold on to money. It's not, that's not how it works. It just, it just won't be held on to, will it? You know that. You've seen that in your own life, right? And that's not the point of life. The point of life is not simply to, to hold on to the money. And so what are we doing? Well, here's something that's worth holding on to. Flip over to Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1. If money's not worth holding on to, what is? Philippians 1 is one place we can go to where we find something that's worth holding on to with everything you've got. It's worth sacrificing everything you've got for. Check out what Paul says here in Philippians 1. Starting in verse 1, uh, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my joy, my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Maybe, maybe we need to stop right there and just kind of review what he's been talking about, what's worth holding on to. We're not, we're not done, and he's not done yet telling you things that are worth holding on to because money's not worth hold, holding on to. It's not why you go to work. In fact, it's not even worth holding on to. So what is worth holding on to, Paul? Well, lost souls are certainly worth holding on to, aren't they? The evangelism of our community, he says, is worth holding on to. It's worth sacrificing an awful lot for. And the people that are doing that, those are people are worth holding on to. Those people are worth being cherished, right? He's talking about the church. The love that we share, the love that we build up between us as a congregation. He says, that's worth holding on to. That's worth cherishing. 
verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. These are things that are worth holding on to, things that are excellent, purity, uh, being blameless, righteousness, and the works that prove that you're righteous. We don't do those things to be seen by other people, but we do those things because God has called us to help people. Those things are worth holding on to. Those things are worth sacrificing for. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in prison right now because he won't stop telling people about Jesus. And so the Romans have thrown him in prison. He says, this is actually a good thing. He can't work now. He's not getting money now. He's actually having to live off other people now. Something that Paul was against doing. He did not like doing that. We've talked about that in 2 Thessalonians, right? He didn't like living that kind of lifestyle, but he's forced to do it here because there's something more important than money. He says evangelism is more important than money. It's something worth sacrificing for. It's something worth holding on for. That's your work. You want to work for something, work for, work for God, work in evangelism. Verse 13, he says, So that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear now. So he says, my imprisonment, though I hate it, and it's, it's almost antithetical to Paul's way of life. He does not like depending on other people. He does not like being set down, confined to one spot. He wants to go everywhere and tell everybody about Jesus. But because he has done that so long and with so much vigor, he's been confined now. And he's forced now to stay in this one spot. He says, you know, it's actually good because my imprisonment, my struggles have actually encouraged the whole church. And now even more people are more bold to go out and teach the truth. These things are worth holding on to. This is where the gospel intersects with work because work does not get you where you need to go in Christ. It can give you money. And we've seen that work is a good thing. It's a God thing. But if you're working so that you can get money, he said, that's a waste of your time because it's just going to fly away like an, on eagle's wings, right? You hold on to this stuff. You cherish this stuff. You sacrifice for this stuff. You make sure this stuff happens above everything else. So why work at all? Tomorrow's Monday. Call in and say, I quit. <laughs> I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to hang out with the church. Uh, but that's what the Thessalonians did, wasn't it? And Paul says, that's not good. That's, that's bad. That's sinful, even. Hmm. So why work at all? Well, like we saw in Thessalonians, you go to work so you can feed your family, so you can support your family, so you don't have to sponge off other people. There's, there's a second reason why we go to work, though. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. So part of my money goes to my family for certain. I need to take care of them. 
You need to take care of your family. But that's not where all of our money goes. That may not even be where the majority of our money goes. It's not where the majority of our focus is for sure. Acts chapter 20, 32 through 35. Um, Paul's speaking to the Ephesian eldership here. This is a congregation he spent an egregious amount of time with. He's with them for a little over three and a half years. He knows these folks. He loves this congregation and knows them inside and out. And as he's traveling through this part of the country, he calls them down. He's going to, he's going to meet them at a place called Miletus. And so they travel the 30-some-odd miles from Ephesus down to the port city of Miletus, and they meet with Paul there, and this is the last time they're going to get to see him. Um, he's, he thinks he's going to die uh, before he gets to see them again, and history tells us that that's most likely the case. Um, but he has some parting words for them. Acts 20, 32-35 are some of those words. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you see what he says? We must help the weak. And remember, don't forget what Jesus said, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so part of your money, the reason you go to work is so that you can provide for your family, so that you don't have to bring shame on the church or your family. Certainly you do that. That's one of the reasons you go to work. But another reason you go to work is so that you can help those who are less fortunate. That's what Paul tells these, these elders. And then he reminds them, of a saying of Jesus that we don't have recorded for us in the Gospels. This is just so, so interesting. But he says, remember how, it was, how Jesus used to say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you've, you've found that to be the case, just like they have, haven't you? We have. Uh, Ephesians 4 is our last verse this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Flip over there real quick. Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 28. To, to this same congregation, earlier on in his life, Paul would say these words. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. There it is. Not working brings shame on you and on the church and on your family. He says, don't do that. If you're stealing, stop it. <laughs> no more stealing. But you go to work, doing honest work, in verse 28, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's why you go to work. You, you don't go to work to build up your bank account or to, to cushion your retirement plan. Those things aren't, aren't why we go to work. Work's good, and we need to go do it. Right? It's a God thing. We need to do this thing. But we're not doing it so that we can accrue money. We're doing it so we can take care of our family and so we can take care of those who are less fortunate. Money is not what we hold on to. We hold on to truth. We hold on to evangelism. We hold on to souls. We hold on to righteousness. We hold on to these things. Because if you try to hold on to money, what happens to it? 
it's gone so fast you don't even know what happened to it, do you? Like Proverbs 23 says, it flies away on the wings of an eagle. You've seen that to be true, haven't you? That's the way money works. You need to hold on to something that the closer and the tighter that you hold on to it, the closer it comes to you. You know, James says something about that, doesn't he? Draw near to God. And what? You hold on tight to him and he'll draw near to you. Today, if you need to draw near to God, if you're, if you're ready to hold on tight to God and you haven't been baptized for the purpose of the forgiveness of your sins, that needs to happen today because you're still lost in your sins. He's still going to hold you accountable for those things that you've done, that, those things that you've held on tight to, that you shouldn't have held on tight to. He's still going to hold you accountable for those things. But when we're baptized, when we're immersed, He washes those things away. And then you hold on tight to Him. Maybe you're struggling this morning because holding on tight's hard. It's not something our culture teaches us how to do. In fact, it's something we hear every day not to do. You hold on to other things. And so if they've convinced you that holding on tight to something that's just like holding on to water or smoke is the way that you try to live your life, there's only pain and suffering down that road. There's nothing for you there. You can't hold on to these things. The only one you can hold on to is Christ. So this morning, if you're ready to hold on to Him, we want to help you in any way we can. Won't you come as we stand and sing? For the
Good morning, church family. Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. Um, if you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. Um, if you can take a moment to fill a visitor card in front of you and put it inside one of the boxes in the back, uh, we'd love to have a record of your attendance with us this morning. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, this coming Saturday, uh, Life Group 1, that's Rick's group, We'll be meeting here at the building at 7 o'clock. So if you're part of the uh, Rick's class or Rick's life group, um, uh, you'll be here at the building at 7 o'clock. Um, also, that Saturday on the November 12th is the men's, pl- uh, the men's planning meeting. Uh, breakfast will be at 8 o'clock, and the discussion will start at 8.30. Um, it's very important that... Um, Men and congregation get together with this meeting. Um, it's very important that we discuss uh, what, our, what we did in the past, what we're going to do in the future for next year, and what we're going to do in the future for our church and congregation. Um, you know, it's very important that we discuss that, and so that way we can get everybody, um, all the men involved with what's going on here at the building. Um, also, November 13th, there will be a high school and middle school devotional at, at Trevathan's house. And please put on your calendar uh, for the special needs contribution that's coming up, uh, not this Sunday, but, or not this coming Sunday, but next Sunday. Um, uh, please put that in your calendar. Uh, it's very important. And then we're also doing a Thanksgiving food drive as well throughout the month as well. So if you can help out with that. Our pantry, there's a list of uh, items we need for our pantry out in the foyer board if you're wondering what the church needs. Um, in the past, during the time change, we've always done the 4 o'clock service. Um, we did a survey. Everybody partook of the survey. And um, we heard you. And uh, there's uh, no 4 o'clock services during this time change. We'll have a regular 6 o'clock service on Sundays. Uh, so there will, this year we will... There, but if you're needing a ride... Uh, two services at 6 o'clock. There's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board for you to sign up, and we'll be more than happy to pick you up and bring you to, the, uh, bring you to church at 6 o'clock on Sunday. Also, the new uh, class quarter will be starting uh, December through February. Uh, we are needing a few additional teachers, so please see Connie Miller um, if you can help out with a new quarter of teaching as well. So um, please see Connie for, for teaching classes. Um, updates on our prayer list. We're going to continue to keep um, Terry Leap, that's Gary's brother, in your prayers as he's dealing with stage 4 bone and liver cancer. Um, keep him in your prayers as he's going through his treatments. Also, keep Gary Leap in your prayers as well. Uh, this week, uh, Tuesday, is that right, Gary? Wednesday, he's having uh, rotator, cup, sur- rotator cup surgery, um, so keep him in your prayers as well. Uh, Mary, continue to keep Sandy Hughes as Jennifer Ward's mother in your prayers. That She still remains in the hospital at this time. Keep her in her prayers and the family. Uh, Mary, continue to keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers and that family as well as Jennifer continues with her cancer treatment. And uh, Mary, continue to keep Gail Hewitt in your prayers as well. Uh, she has a blood clot in her leg. And, um, and also, uh, this Tuesday is Election Day, so keep, all, uh, keep that election in your prayers as well, that uh, um, 
just keep it in your prayers. Um, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock this evening. Um, Chris will have the lesson tonight, uh, but if, uh, if you have any other needs or anything, please see one of the elders that are at the door. Um, we'll sing one more song and be uh, dismissed in prayer. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 388. Let, it, let every heart rejoice and sing. Well, I'm going to sing one verse. So just one verse, okay. <clears throat> I kind of misread what we were, the sermons were going to be about, and I, I think this is kind of a preparation for tonight, probably. But anyway, 388. Let every heart rejoice and sing. <clears throat> First verse. And then Brother Brian Ward will have a prayer. Let every heart rejoice and sing, let corporal anthems rise. Ye ancient men and children bring to God your sacrifice. For he is good, the Lord is good, and kind for all his ways. With songs and with me. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for this opportunity we have to come here again to worship you. Father, we pray that everything we've done will be pleasing in your sight. Father, we pray for all the events that were mentioned here this morning, coming up these next uh, few weeks. Be with them, Father. Help us to attend those events, Father, with a, a cheerful heart. Father, we pray that you would be with all those that were mentioned on the sick list. Be with them. God, guard, and direct them. The doctors and nurses are attending to them. Be with us the rest of this week, Father. Help us to be the example we need to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.